0: Okay, let's take verse this morning and we'll turn to Genesis chapter 31. <clears throat> Genesis 31 uh, this morning, and let's uh, begin reading back in verse 32 just to pick up the context this morning. It says, With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent, but found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord, that I cannot rise up before thee for the custom of women is upon me and he searched but found not the images and Jacob was wroth <clears throat> and chode with Laban and Jacob answered and said to Laban what is my trespass what is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer dear <clears throat> Lord and the Father we do <clears throat> thank you Lord that could be here again today we thank you, Lord, that we can come and uh, spend time together uh, in this place. We thank you, Lord, that we have the, the ability to be here today in person and to uh, fellowship together around your word. We pray that you bless as we consider this passage this morning, that you would uh, teach us, instruct us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now this morning through your spirit, give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts. Lord, this morning we'll be left singing your praises and giving all glory and honour unto your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Sorry. Of course, last Sunday morning we began to look at uh, Jacob's (coughs) journey back to the land of Canaan. Uh, We saw him there after receiving clear instruction from the Lord that it was time to leave. We saw him... Uh, at the first opportunity, pack up his family, pack up his possessions, and he began that long journey back to the promised land. And of course, knowing what Laban was like, knowing that Laban would uh, try and stop him, and indeed probably even try and take everything from him by force, Jacob took advantage of Laban being away. You know, Laban was away shearing his sheep, and uh, Jacob took that opportunity to leave quietly, to leave peaceably without confrontation. And it wasn't until he'd been gone for three days that Laban learnt of his departure. You know, Laban, as we saw, responded with anger. He responded with clear intent to do Jacob harm. He gathered his men, gathered the brethren, and in haste they pursued after Jacob. of course, God knew what was in Laban's heart, and so God warned Laban not to touch Jacob. He told Laban that Jacob was under his protection, you know, that Jabin, uh, Jacob sorry, was in his care, and so Laban's hands were tied. And God declared, uh, sorry, <clears throat> and so, sorry, so instead of doing him physical harm, which is what he wanted to do, we saw him last week seek to destroy Jacob's testimony. You know, and he went about uh, basically accusing him of being an ungrateful, unloving, and dishonest son-in-law. And of course we saw Jacob answer those accusations meekly and he invited Laban to search his stuff. He invited him to search and see if anything uh, was amongst his stuff that was stolen. And Laban of course proceeded to search as we just read. He found nothing. Uh, God preserved Jacob's testimony not only before Laban but of course before all who were present. God vindicated him. And this morning now we see the conclusion of this meeting. And we see, first of all, here, Jacob's wrath. We see Jacob's wrath. Look there in verse 36. It says, And Jacob was wroth, and choked with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. You know, at this point, we we get the sense that Jacob's patience has finally run out, hasn't it? You know, in verse 36 here, we read that Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. Jacob finally, uh, you know, lets out what's inside. He becomes angry. And he sharply, he rebukes Laban. You know, for 20 years, he had kept his mouth shut, hadn't he? For 20 years, he'd been patient. He had patiently, graciously, meekly put up with everything that Laban had done unto him. But now we see him break forth and sharply rebuke Laban. And you know, we can understand why. You know, Jacob has just been publicly accused before all of his brethren. He's been publicly accused of being an unloving, ungrateful and dishonest son-in-law. And he has meekly surrendered and allowed Laban to search all of his possessions, to search everything he owns. He's watched as Laban has done that. He's turned over all of his stuff. The search itself has shown him to be innocent. And so now with boldness, he defends himself, doesn't he? Okay, now with boldness, he defends himself and he rebukes Laban before the witnesses who are present. And he begins by demanding Laban to make clear what it is that he's done wrong, to make clear why it is that he has pursued after him so hotly. Look there in verse 36 again. It says, And Jacob was wroth and chowed with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Said it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. Jacob here calls upon Laban now. He says, all right, you've searched through all my stuff. You've looked. You've found nothing. You need to now lay before our brethren what it is that's my sin. What have I done wrong, Laban? He calls upon Laban here to justify his actions in pursuing after him so aggressively. He asks Laban to present publicly the evidence of his sin, before all their kinsmen, his brethren, and Jager's brethren, the whole family's there, he says, present the evidence, Laban, and let them judge betwixt us both, let them give a verdict, that's what he says there at the end of verse 37, set it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both, he says, let's, let's put it on the table here, and let the brethren decide, who's in the right, and who is in the wrong, and you know, there's no response here recorded by Laban, is there? We don't read anything here after verse 37. We don't read of Laban responding and, you know, answering these, um, you know, this accusation, if you like. He doesn't respond by going, all right, well, here's the evidence. You know, perhaps he remains silent here out of embarrassment because he knows full well there is no evidence. He knows for well that Jacob has done nothing wrong. He has no response, if you like. And so unable to respond, Jacob now proceeds, doesn't he? Okay, Laban's almost been shut up. He can't respond. He can't say anything. And so Jacob now proceeds and he proceeds to present his innocence and to also present Laban's guilt. He does both things here. Look there in verse 38. It says, This twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young. And the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts I brought not to thee. I bear the loss of it, of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day, the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, have been with me, Surely thou sent me away now empty. God hath seen my affl- mine affliction and the labor of mine hands and rebuked thee yesternight. Jacob now presents his innocence, doesn't he? And he also points the finger at Laban. He says, you're the one who's guilty, Laban. You see, Jacob's 20 years of faithful service proved without a doubt his innocence and his integrity. His 20 years of faithful service. You know, as we read Jacob's defense here, we begin to get a clearer understanding of just how honest and just how faithful he has been during those 20 years. You see, Jacob reminds Laban and all the brethren, okay, he's telling them too, but he reminds Laban here that throughout these 20 years, he had cared for Laban's herd as if it had been his own. And that care is seen in various ways. In verse 38, he talks first of all about the lambing season. In verse 38, he says, This 20 years have I been with thee, thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young. He talks about lambing season, and Jacob declares that he had personally overseen the care of the ewes and the care of the, the goats during lambing season. He'd taken care of them. And he had made sure that they had not cast their young. In other words, they didn't miscarry. And the idea is that very few, if any, lambs were lost during those 20 years. That's what he's declaring here. He says, Laban, you know that during these twenty years very few, if any, lambs were lost. You see, each labing, uh, lambing season, sorry, had been profitable, and it had been productive for who? For Laban. Okay, as he cared for Laban's flock, his herd. Not only that, but at the end of verse 38, we see that Jacob also declares thee not stolen from Laban. Okay, at the end of verse 38, there it says, And the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. He says, Laban, I never took any of your rams for food. He never stole from his uncle. He could testify that he'd never once taken any of Laban's herd for food. And more than that, in verse 39, he declares that he'd actually replaced any lost ones with his own. Okay, in verse 39, it says, That which was torn of beasts I brought not to thee, I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Jacob declares that he had borne the loss, the loss of any amongst Laban's herd. Now, wild animal attacks were a very real possibility, weren't they? Especially in that and age, when you don't have fences like we do, it was even more so a problem. And so it was a reality that some of the animals were going to be lost to wild beasts, to wild animals. But Jacob had seemingly replaced any that were lost He had replaced them with his own animals from his own herd or from his own pocket. He had taken care of it. He'd borne the loss. You see, this is going above and beyond what is required of him, isn't it? It's going above and beyond what's expected of him as a hireling. That's what he is. He's a hired shepherd. And then lastly in verse 40, he declares how he'd watched over the herd faithfully, day and night, summer and winter. Verse 40 says, thus I was in the day... The drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. He says, day and night, summer and winter, I've watched over, I've taken care of your herd. You see, Jacob had given everything to take care of Laban's herd, hadn't he? That's, that's what we're, we're learning, and that's what we're seeing here. He had given everything to take care of this herd. He had not acted as if he was a hireling who didn't care about the flock. He had acted as if they were... His own. As if they belonged to him and he'd taken care of them. He had made sure that they were strong, they were healthy, they were protected. He had taken care of them as if they were his own. He'd been a faithful shepherd. But You see, despite his faithfulness through all these years, Laban had treated him deceitfully. That's verse 41. He says, Thus I have been twenty years in thy house, I served thee 14 years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. So he presents his innocence. He says, I have faithfully done all this, and this is how you repaid me, Laban. Now, for 20 years, as we know, 14 years, he'd been there serving for his wives, six years for the cattle, for the herd. And Laban, he says, had changed his wages ten times. He says, Laban, you have constantly changed the terms of our agreements. You see, Laban's mistreatment of Jacob is now laid bare for all to see. In case they still didn't understand what Laban had done, it's clear now, isn't it? Jacob had been faithful. He'd been an honest man, a man of integrity. And we know it's true because Laban can't answer it, as we'll see. He had done everything faithfully. And yet Laban had been completely unfaithful, hadn't he? You see, Jacob had been nothing but honest and faithful, but Laban had been dishonest and unfaithful. You see, it was Laban who was guilty, not Jacob. That's the point here. Laban is the guilty man, and Jacob makes that clear. You notice that Jacob then concludes his rebuke of Laban by pointing everyone's attention to the Lord. In verse 42, he then says, Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, had been with me, surely thou sent me away now empty. God hath seen my affliction, and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight he he concludes his rebuke now by pointing everyone's attention to the Lord now he was bold in declaring his innocence he was bold in rebuking Laban and he was bold in declaring the goodness of God Jacob testifies before all that are there that through all these years God had seen his faithfulness God had seen Laban's deceitfulness and God in his goodness, God in his grace, have protected him and brought him out safely with everything that he owned. You see, Jacob gives God here the glory, doesn't he? Now, isn't it wonderful that Jacob, after all these years and after all that has happened to him, Jacob can still rejoice in the Lord. Now, as I started this week, that's the thing that stood out here. After all of this, Jacob still can rejoice and give glory to God. You see, Jacob understood and he had experienced for himself the truth that the Lord is his shepherd, hadn't he? Now, Psalm 20, uh, 23, verse 4 came to mind. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. But rod and my staff, they comfort me. Jacob had experienced that firsthand, hadn't he? He had been through a dark valley. A time when he, would be, he had been terribly treated for 20 years. But God had seen his affliction, God had vindicated him, God had brought him out, and Jacob now testifies of that. He testifies of that before his brethren. You know, beloved, we're going to walk through dark valleys too, aren't we? We're going to walk through dark valleys. There's going to be times when we are mistreated, when we are despitefully used, when we are slandered by the wicked. But you know, through it all, the Lord is with us. The Lord is... Our shepherd, and that is reason enough to rejoice, isn't it? That's reason enough to rejoice. And, beloved, even through those darkest, deepest trials that we face, we must look and see God's hand and rejoice. Let us be bold like Laban in testifying of God's goodness toward us. And that brings us now, secondly, to seeing Laban's response. We see Laban's response, look in verse 43. It says, And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. And these cattle are my cattle. And all thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters? Or unto their children which they have born? Now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant. I am thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. You know, after hearing all of this, after hearing Jacob Declare his innocence, declare Laban's guilt and also to give glory to God. He's, Laban's heard all this. How does Laban now respond? How does he respond? Does you know, Laban respond with an admission of guilt? Does Laban respond by confessing his sin? Does Laban respond by humbly apologizing here to Jacob for his treatment over the past 20 years? The simple answer is No. No. In fact, he doesn't really address the claims and charges of Jacob at all. You know, perhaps he knew he couldn't deny the charges, and so instead, we see that he basically just changes the subject. Changes the subject, and he tries to now make it appear that he is the peacemaker. That he's a peacemaker, that all he wants is peace. And he starts out in verse 43 by basically dismissing any suggestion that he could ever harm his daughters or grandchildren. Verse 43, as we read, it says, And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle. And all that thou seest is mine. And what can I, what can I do this day? unto so these my daughters are unto their children, which they have born. Basically, Laban, he declares, I love my daughters. says, I love my, my grandchildren. I'd never do anything to harm them. And then he also points out to Jacob, he says, Jacob, and by the way, everything you have is mine. It all came from me. I gave you everything. I made you, Jacob. He says there, these these cattle are my cattle. And all thou seest is mine. He says, Jacob, be grateful. I gave you all of this. How dare you ever think I would do harm unto you? Morris writes this, he says, though he realized he was in the wrong, a self-seeking hypocrite such as Laban cannot bring himself to repent or to make public acknowledgement of his sin. He must try by whatever means he can muster to shift the blame away from himself or at least to shift the attention away from his own culpability to whatever real or imagined grievances he can find in others. And that's what we see Laban doing here. He's a self-seeking hypocrite. And so once again, we see him trying to save face now. Trying to save face, and he makes himself here to appear to be the good guy in all of this. And so what does he do now? He proposes that they make peace. Verse 44. He says, now therefore come thou, let us make a covenant. I am thou, and <clears throat> let it be for a witness between me and thee. Basically, he says to Jacob, he says, how, how could you ever think I would do harm to my daughters? Let's make a covenant, let's just put it all behind us. Let's put this this disagreement, this misunderstanding, behind us. He said, there's no omission of guilt here, is there? There's no apology to Jacob. He basically just wants to sweep it under the carpet. As Weasby writes, the old deceiver put on a brave front and tried to make everybody think he was a peacemaker. That's really what he's doing here. He wants everyone to think he is the peacemaker. And in verse 45 to 46, we see how Jacob immediately responds. Says, and Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. Jacob's immediate response is to set up a pillar and to get his brethren to gather stones. And so they're putting stones around that pillar as well. He sets up this pillar, this this uh, memorial, to remember the occasion. You know, Laban had suggested they make a covenant. And what's Jacob's response? Sure, let's, let's make peace. That's his response, isn't it? He's willing to enter into this agreement with Laban. And with the pillar now built, Laban and Jacob both give this pillar a name signifying its purpose. Look there in verse 47. It says, and Laban called it Jagar, Sahudah, And Jacob called it Galid. Now, Laban said, this heap is a witness between me and thee this day, therefore was the name of it called Galid. Now, basically, both these names mean the same thing, okay? Um, It means the heap of witness or the heap of testimony. Jagar Sahed, Utha is Aramaic and Galid is Hebrew, okay? But it's basically the same name. And so with these identical names, they both acknowledge the purpose of this pillar. It is a witness between them of the agreement that they are about to make. And then Laban adds another name. He calls it Mizpah in verse 49. And as the verse suggests, it means watch or watchtower. It says in Mizpah, we'll start back in verse 48. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. So he calls it watch or the watchtower. Laban wanted this to be a boundary marker between the two of them. A boundary marker that they were not allowed to cross. And he declares that the Lord, Jehovah, would be watching. He says, the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. Laban declares that even though they couldn't see each other, God could see them. God would be watching. And God is going to make sure that they keep the terms of the agreements. You know, it's clear from what follows... <clears throat> as Laban now outlines the terms of the agreement, the terms of the covenants, it's clear that Laban only felt Jacob needed to be watched. Okay? He only felt Jacob needed a watchtower. Jacob is the one that can't be trusted. The Lord needs to watch over him. And we see that as we read through now the, the terms of the agreement. Look in verse 50. <clears throat> it says, If thou shalt afflict my daughters... For if thou shalt take otherwise besides my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap and behold this pillar, which I have cast betwixt me and thee. This heap be witness and this pillar be witness, that I will not pass over this heap to thee, and that thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of nah- Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of our Father, judge betwixt us, Jacob swear by the fear fear of his father, Isaac. It's clear from these terms of the agreement now that Laban only felt it was Jacob who needed to be watched. Jacob couldn't be trusted. Well, at least that's what he's saying to everyone. Jacob can't be trusted. You see, Laban here demands certain restrictions be placed on who? Jacob. That's that's what he says. He says, these are the restrictions upon you, Jacob. And these, these restrictions once again call into question Jacob's honor. They call into question Jacob's integrity. Just look at what he demands of him. In verse 50, he starts out by demanding that he doesn't afflict his daughters. Okay, he says, if thou shalt afflict my daughters. This is his very first thing he says is the term of the agreements. Yet when had Jacob ever afflicted his daughters? He hadn't. Jacob had only ever treated his daughters with kindness and with love. Laban was the one who had afflicted them. Remember, he'd stolen their inheritance. He'd stolen their dowry. He had afflicted them. And yet he demands that Jacob never afflict his daughters. You see, Laban had no reason to think Jacob would, any, would ever treat them sorry in any other way than with kindness and with love. He also demanded that Jacob not take any other wives. Okay, verse 58 says, If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take otherwise beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. He demands that he doesn't take any other wives. And this is hypocritical, isn't it? Because it was Laban who forced him into polygamy in the first place. Laban was the one who who arranged all that. Jacob only wanted to marry Rachel. But, of course, Laban, by his deception, had basically forced him into a polygamous marriage. But Laban doesn't acknowledge this, does he? Rather, once again, he calls into question, Jacob's honor. And basically what Laban says here in verse 50 is he says, I can't trust you with my daughters. I can't trust you to treat them right. And so make me a promise. And God is going to hold you to it. And then in verse 51 and 52, Laban if you notice, he takes credit for building the pillar, even though that wasn't him. And then he declares that it's a marker that they cannot cross. Verse 52, it says, This heap, <coughs> sorry, verse 51, And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar, which I have cast betwixt me and thee, this heap be witness, and this pillar be witness, that I will not pass over this heap to thee, and thou shalt not pass over this heap, and this pillar unto me for harm. He says it's a pillow, it's a marker that you're not allowed to cross, Jacob. And Laban wants Jacob here to agree to never come back across that marker with intent to do him harm. And he says, and in return, I won't cross the marker to do you harm, Jacob. But once again, we see Laban's hypocrisy, don't we? Because you see, it was Laban who had gathered his men. It was Laban who had pursued hotly after Jacob, full of wrath it was laban who had sought to harm him not the other way around jacob had never sought to harm laban jacob had only ever shown himself to be a peaceable man there's no reason for laban to suspect that in the in the future in the years to come that jacob would come back to do him harm there's no reason but once again laban implies that jacob you can't be trusted so make this promise now morris notes this He says that what we see here from Laban is nothing but hypocrisy and self-righteous sanctimoniousness. That's what it is. It's hypocrisy and self-righteous sanctimoniousness. He truly does all he can to present himself as the the peacemaker, the good guy, the trustworthy one in this encounter. And then Laban concludes his proposal by invoking the names in verse 53 there of the God of Abraham The God of Nahor and the God of their their father judge betwixt us. So he invokes the name of the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father. Now Nahor, of course, is Laban's grandfather. Abraham is Jacob's grandfather. So he says, the God of your grandfather, the God of my grandfather, the God of their father. He says, Jacob, we serve the same God. And he says, God judge betwixt us. This is Laban here swearing to keep his side of the agreement. Not that there was much to his side of the agreement. But that's him swearing here that he's going to keep his side, his part of the covenant. And that brings us now lastly to Jacob's response. How does Jacob respond to all of this? Well, Well, look there at the end of verse 53. It says, and Jacob swear by the fear of his father Isaac. Isn't that wonderful? Jacob has listened to uh, to Laban. He's listened to Laban outline the terms of this agreement. He's listened as Laban has basically once again pointed the finger at him as being someone who cannot be trusted. There's been no apology from Laban. Laban has not said sorry. There's been no admission of guilt. And yet Jacob's response at the end of verse 53 is simply, and Jacob swore by the fear of of his father Isaac. He doesn't argue with Laban here does he? He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't argue with Laban about the terms that he has just laid out. He doesn't get upset at Laban's hypocrisy and it's clear for us to see. Jacob simply humbly agrees to the terms and he swears before God that he will keep his word for the sake of peace. You know the fact that Jacob here swears by the fear of his father Isaac it suggests to us that he doesn't agree with Laban's assessment that they serve the same God. He doesn't agree with that assessment. And we know Laban, even though he knows God, he doesn't serve God wholeheartedly, does he? He has idols that he worships. And so it suggests to us that he doesn't agree with Laban's assessment. And so he's careful here to make a distinction, isn't he? He says, "I fear, I swear by the fear of my father Isaac. In other words, he says the the God he serves, the God that he is making this promise before is the God that his father Isaac serves and fears. And then we see Jacob in verse 54, worship the Lord. It says, then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mounts and he called his brethren to eat and they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mounts. We see yet another right response from Jacob, don't we? He worships Lord, He offers sacrifice unto God. He leads his family here in worshipping God and giving thanks to God for his deliverance from Laban and for the, the peace that they now have. They can enter now into the land of Canaan in peace. He gives thanks to God. Morris writes this, Jacob in thanksgiving for God's final deliverance from Laban, offered sacrifices that evening there on the mountain. He and his family then ate a happy meal together no doubt spending much time in praise and testimony and prayer before retiring for the nights. The scene in Jacob's camp that night is one of rejoicing, isn't it? It's one of rejoicing and they give thanks to God for the peace and safety that he has given them. And then the next morning we see Laban, he bids farewell and he returns home. Verse 55, it says, and early in the morning Laban rose up, kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them, and Laban departed and returned unto his place. You know, with Laban's departure now, this difficult chapter in Jacob's life finally comes to a close. This 20-year chapter is finally closed. This is the last time we read of Laban in the word of God, and he departs the scriptures as a worldly, covetous, selfish man who knew about the true God, but did not submit and worship the true God as he oughts you know in contrast to this we have Jacob a man who was surrendered to the will of God a man who was meek he was full of integrity and he was a man who sought to live peaceably with his uncle you see the real peacemaker in this story is Jacob is it not Jacob is the peacemaker it's Jacob who forgives Laban for all of the wrongs that he has committed against him in the past 20 years. Even though Laban never once admitted his guilt, even though he never once apologized, Jacob humbled himself for the sake of peace. Jacob's the peacemaker. And you know, we likewise are called upon in the word of God to be peacemakers, aren't we? You know, Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. This is what God desires of us as his children, that we be peacemakers. And Romans 12 speaks about us seeking to live at peace with all men. Let's just turn over there as we close. Romans 12. We've read this passage before and I know we know it well, but Romans 12 verse 18 it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, Romans 12 speaks about us actively seeking to live peaceably. With all men. And it tells us what what that means, doesn't it? You know, being a peacemaker means humbling ourselves. It means being willing to forgive others when they wrong us. And it means seeking to do good in return for the evil that they do unto us. And you know, that was Jacob's response to Laban, wasn't it? As we look at all that happened, that was Jacob's response. Laban had done evil unto him constantly. And Jacob had returned with good. He returned it with good. And he forgave his uncle. Jacob was the peacemaker. And beloved, that must be our response as well. You know, even when someone never acknowledges their are wrong, even when someone never acknowledges that they have hurt us, they never say, sorry, we still need to forgive. And we still need to show them love and grace. And we still need to seek to live peaceably with them. Lord, may we ask Lord to help us today to learn to be peacemakers like Jacob was here. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, and then we Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, once again for the example of Jacob. Lord, a man who I think is so often misunderstood and harshly judged by many. But Lord, as we studied him, we've seen a man who sought to do your will, a man who was meek, a man of integrity, a man who sought to live at peace even with those who wronged him. And Lord, may you help us to learn from that. Lord, we are wronged by men and women around us. And Lord, we we suffer from others, but help us, Lord, to return it with love and with grace. Help us, Lord, to seek to live peaceably with all men, learning to forgive as you have forgiven us. Lord, may you bless now as we close and bless our morning tea, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.